Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I am your host, Nick Webster, part of the Cal South Board of Directors. And today on The Bear and the Ball, we have someone who has lived a life of this beautiful game, this beautiful game that we call football, soccer in the United States. He has been a team liaison officer for many of the CONCACAF countries. He's been a referee. He's been a coach. And he hasn't missed a World Cup finals since 2006. Serafin Rodriguez, welcome to the Bear and the Ball. We're delighted to have you. Hello, thank you for having me. Glad okay, me. so just to give my listeners a little, a little clue of how we know each other, um, I've been refereeing uh, co-ed soccer at uh, Santa, Monica, Santa Monica Airport for the for the last couple of years, and and Serafin is uh, one of the organizers of the of the league. Serafin, tell us how this seven aside league came about at Airport Park in Santa Monica, and, and what, what was the genesis behind it? Well, listen, so uh, before we they inaugurated uh, Airport Field, uh, I was one of the advocates about why did we have uh, adult soccer in the city of Santa Monica? So I used to go to the uh, uh, city and ask why were we gonna be, we were kicked out of the uh, park, local parks because we didn't have a permit to play soccer. So we were look at like we're doing something really wrong. And so I was with the city council. I spoke to them a few times and the same answer we got all the time was well, there's not enough field space for soccer. And supposedly we ruined the field, not football, not American football. Soccer was ruining the fields around the city. So when, um, when 2007, when they opened up uh, airport field, uh, I got that call. Uh, with the city of Santa Monica because I was the pesty one asking for so long to have an adult league since the city had every single sport except soccer, you know, from softball to volleyball to basketball, but not soccer. So I got the phone call from the city stating we wanna we want we want you to organize uh, a soccer league, adult soccer league for us at the airport field. So that's how they, they gave me the field space uh, after 7 p.m. And I started doing the work. I started uh, looking at who was interested. Yeah, first year, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't think we fill up uh, more than three days, three or four days, uh, and we get back the field space. But the following year, it was a little better. And from then on, there was a point where there was a waiting list to get in our league. So that's why uh, we've been around since 2007 in that league. I think we, this is our 14th year, and it's it's a pretty successful um uh, league, adult league, you know, uh, it's a rec league, it's for fun, and uh, and I'm and I'm glad to be here still doing this, you know. It, it's just uh, gives me a lot of joy uh, looking at some of my uh, ex-players, you know. When I, I coach a lot of these uh, guys uh, in high school, they are now they were adults with a job and playing the sport they they grew up with, you know. But I'm I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot as well. And I think that it's one of the most gratifying things of being a coach of, of young people and then seeing their love of the game continue into adulthood. Uh, but I, I want to keep keep talking about this uh, this relationship with the city and, and how to how you managed to massage them. And what do you think was the the fear of adult soccer? And why is it so hard for municipalities to to embrace adult soccer well i think there's a lot of politics behind it you know uh we had uh, sorry to say we have a lot of groups 
um, a lot of group, youth groups and, and, and probably in every city where well, they're cashing in and, and, and having uh, uh, clubs and stuff like that. And because they're youth and we're, and we're adults, they fight you to get in the field space. And that's, that's a lot of politics. And there's a lot of youth groups that, you know, um, get the field space and they don't use it as much as they, sh they should. So we see a lot of empty fields, which kind of get us upset. But yeah, there's a lot of polit politics behind it that uh, giving us the field space. At the beginning, there was a lot of groups that were fighting us. Why the adults getting uh, field space when the youth should be on the field as well? We, we looked at it as, uh, it's just as important, you know, to uh, for the adults to stay in shape and to do the sport they love, uh, you know, and uh, just as important as the kids, you know, growing up, you know. Uh, uh, the adults are not going anywhere. They're not going to be professionals by any means, but they want to stay in shape and they want to stay healthy. So I think it's it's, it's a good thing for the city, you know. Well, the, we, we need to learn how to kind of share the field space. Yeah. Well, the fascinating thing for me is youth eventually become adults. Uh, no brainer, really. Um. Let me take you back to to where you're from, Mexico. I'm from England, and in in our structures, our youth teams. You know, we we play for our youth team, and at the at the at the top of that club pyramid would be an adult team, and I, I find it really interesting that there are so many youth teams here in in Southern California, but none of them go through and and become adult teams. Why why do you think that is? Well, the uh, well back then it was because there was no no hopes of being a professional player, you know, which is a lot of the kids' hopes someday. Everybody, you know, I want to be a professional player. There's a lot of youth that want to be a professional player. You know, everybody, everybody, every parent thinks they have the next Messi and household. <laughs> but but I'm saying, but I'm saying is uh, uh, <clears throat> we lose a lot of kids after after high school. Uh, they are really good athletes. But they go because they play multiple sports and they're good at baseball or football and or academics, you know. And they gotta go the route that is the, for the you know where they're gonna be the most successful, you know. And bottom line, they're gonna be economically sound and whatever they choose. So we lose a lot of athletes to you know, baseball, you know, uh, basketball, football, stuff like that. So they, that I mean, that's why I think that they don't keep on playing, and we lose them as soccer players someday. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 strange though, because you know you, you mentioned playing in the uh, Griffith Park League, and we both played in that league, and you played under the umbrella of Santa Monica United, which is you know perhaps one of the the the, the most legendary and traditional teams here on the West Side. <clears throat> yeah, actually, I was playing for. Uh, um, it was called Real Santa Monica back then, and we were the the, the club when when you had to be an elite player to play club. Nowadays, anybody can play club, if you know what I mean. But uh, back then, right out, out of high school, I was invited to play in the league in the Griffith Park area, and uh, it was a very very uh, competitive league, as as you remember. Uh, but yeah, there was the the first Santa Monica uh, Santa Monica United. They became Santa Monica United. Um, after that, 
but we were in the it was called Rio Santa Monica. It was it's a pretty 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 good team. We had a, a lot of fun playing there. And where where did you go to high school, Seferin? Nineteen eighty-two. And Santa Monica. In Santa Monica High School, yes. Yes. And I went to also to middle school to Jan Adams Middle School. In oh Santa wow! <laughs> so to Jan, so yeah. you, you're as local as they come. So, but Seraphin, this this is a, is a great story. So you played for Santa Monica High School, and then many years later, you found yourself coaching Santa Monica High School. How did how did that come around, and and what was that experience like? <clears throat> well, I um, I was uh, coaching in the Malibu area um, in the two thousands. Then one of my kids uh was going to be a freshman at Monica high school and i i decided to get involved uh and make the program better came in and uh start helping the program you know as you know the high school had a lot of needs and i had the means to help them uh so i came in as a freshman coach in 2001 and yes my son was on the team and um and i did uh freshman one year by the second or third year i was already coaching the varsity girls because i don't want to be a conflict coaching my own son you know i kind of want to be coached by somebody else at that point because probably he was always sick of hearing me for so many years coaching <laughs> as a youth and uh and then uh after that i uh i coached the girls a very successful program uh, we became a powerhouse there. Then uh, after 2008, when, uh, when the, the school won uh, state NCIF, uh, who was running the, the whole program, uh, Mr. Frank Cattell, decided to retire from coaching in, in, in the high school. And I took over the programs for boys and girls. Actually, I had was 66 girls and 75 boys in my sixth period class. So, and I had about eight, eight coaches under me. So we run it uh, pretty well. It was, it was very successful. It was, I was, I had a lot of fun uh, uh, doing it. I was busy doing it, but it was very rewarding sending uh, kids to uh, different universities and scholarships. And not as not just as athletes, but you know, uh, uh, as uh, uh, students, academics as well as, as academics. Well, you know, so it, it's it's good. I feel really really proud of doing that. I did it for fifteen years, by the way. You you certainly put in your time. I, I want to go back to that. You you talked about your relationship coaching coaching your son, and you know, I've, I've, my my little boys. You know, he's not little anymore. He's like getting on to. He's nearly going to be fifteen in in June. And, you know, you, like me, we have this love of, of football. We have this, we've been educated in football. We understand the game of football. And, and, and yet teaching your own child that game can be really challenging. What, what, what were the challenges that you experienced coaching your son? Well, I think our job as parents is... Teaching them right. Let first let them fall in love with the game. You know, let them fall in love with the game, and that will mean getting so serious at a very young age. Just go to the park, kick the ball around, watch soccer with them, and let them let them you know find how good of a sport it is. 
once once they love the game, then you can teach them a little, you know. So I was uh, always encouraging them to learn uh, certain parts of uh, football because the better they are, the more enjoy, you know, the more they enjoy it, you know. They, they taught them some skills and how to be a teammate, sportsmanship, and all that good stuff that comes with with the sport as well, you know. It's not wasn't just about the skills. And after uh, after X amount of years, I think they it's better if they they coach by somebody else because it's so many years you can only spend with them and coaching them and to one point they start they stop listening to you. And I found that out just not just with my kids, but when I was coaching for uh, San Marco United, I always took a team under eleven. And I coached them until they were under 14. And I let them go. And I, and I got another team under 11. Because I was pretty good about the transition be- be- between recreational uh, recreational, and get them to be, uh, you know, a little more um, uh, competitive, serious about the game. Yeah. Competitive game, uh, a little more serious about it. Uh, and, and, and that transition... I really enjoy it because they come, come, you get an AYSO um, kid that scores 10, 12 goals a game and he's doing everything by himself. And all of a sudden you got all these kids at a different, a better level and they can, and they don't understand why they can do that. And that's when you got to teach them about, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself anymore. <laughs> we, let's learn about passing the ball. Let's learn about positioning. Let's learn about some stuff that is going to make you successful at this level as well. But yeah, it was, it was, it was. I really enjoyed that. Well, you you brought up this great point about teaching a love of the game. Um, where did you first start falling in love with 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 soccer? You know, and 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 oh. who 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 was helping you along this this journey? Well, I'm, I came from Mexico City, so at about age uh, ten, I started. You know, I played street soccer a lot before that. Not organized, just. Uh, my black will play against another black, you know, around the, the neighborhood. And we use uh, rocks or shoes as goals. And we play all the time. I mean, we just, that's what we do. We got a soccer ball. We didn't care about anything else. We just play soccer, basically everything. And probably you experience the same thing in other countries where uh, football is the number one sport. And, and I started, uh, somebody saw me playing. They got me interested in playing in this professional team, and uh, not the professional team, but the academy of the Cruz Azul team in Mexico City. It's a well-known team in Mexico City. Uh, and I started, uh, I joined in the academy, and I started playing with them. By after six months playing in the academy, uh, they invited me to be the ball boy in Estadio Azteca. I was the ball boy every other week. And on Saturday afternoon, I couldn't wait to do that. And uh, so I started watching uh, a lot of the uh, stars. You know, I, I was with Cruz Azul, and I, I saw a lot of a lot of uh, playoff games, regular games, finals, and stuff like that. But it was just to see Azteca Stadium fill, and you part of the game, you know. I mean, I was the wall boy, but, you know, I felt like part of the game. And it's, it, it was just so great. And I never looked back. I mean, that was a... The, the sport that I fell in love with, you know, and uh, and and I always found a way to come back to it. You know, I I do. That's not what I do for a living. I don't make a living out of football, but it's 
football was always around me somehow. You know, I went and found my love again after I became somebody in life doing another business. Well, the, you, you mentioned Azteca Stadium, um, uh, perhaps one of the most legendary venues in, in, in all of world football. Um, and I'm sure many of our, our listeners have never been to the Azteca. Can you describe what that stadium is like on match day when there's 100,000 people there? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like... Um... It's something unbelievable, you know, the bus around it. And that's just the game itself. Before the game, outside the stadium, the atmosphere is like uh, so great. And then uh, watching the stadium, uh, you feel like electricity in the air. You know, you're like, you're there, but you just can uh, can believe yourself. And then with so many people around you and the bus around it and everybody cheer for the same team, you know, uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, to me, it's, it's unreal, unreal. You know, as a fan and being part of the game as well, because I've been there as part of a game uh, working, but it's just, just as enjoyable, both of them. But yeah, you know, this is talking about Stadio Azteca where in 1970, Pele won the World Cup there with Brazil. In 86, Maradona won it. So you imagine being at a stadium where two of the greatest players in the world have won World Cups. You know, it's just, it's just, it's my church. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my, it's my cathedral. Well, I, 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 know, I know you follow uh, the Mexican national team all over the world. So I know there's a big game, big game coming up next week, which you're going to be at. What is what is Mexico versus USA like at the Azteca? Is it is it completely different to any other game you've experienced? Absolutely. Well, that became in the last let's say the last fifteen years because before that, you know, we used to whip uh, the United <laughs> States, Mexico, <laughs> pretty badly. There was not much of a game, but the last within the last fifteen years, it's just it's just become like a like. Barcelona, Real Madrid of CONCACAF, you know, uh, and it's pretty competitive. I mean, it's, I think the edge uh, in the last six months has been on the United States side, you know, it's, it's unreal. But, you know, but with the United States, you know, um, it doesn't get, when you go to Stadio Azteca and watch this game, because it's going to be a full house on Thursday, this coming Thursday that I'm going to, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, it doesn't get rowdy. Like uh, you hardly see any any fights or anything like that. They're very respectful of Americans everywhere in the in the uh, in Mexico City when, when when we have this game. Uh, they ride the metro with us. <laughs> they get to the stadium with us, and and nobody actually messes with them because they you know they they respectful. So it's a pretty respectful match. Very intense on the field because uh, they talk a lot of trash to each other. Let me tell you, I've been right next to them. But it's it's it's, it's unbelievable how uh, it's just to be there. You know, it's, it's a really it's a, the rivalry is it keeps going. It's very intense, and it's uh, I'm lucky to to have experience a lot of these games. You know, through the. Uh, through the uh, other um, qualifiers, you know, through the years. And uh, I cannot wait to see this one because, as you know, uh, United States, Mexico, Canada hosting the next World Cup. 
So in order to see this qualifier, United States, Mexico, it's going to be probably another five, six years. This is the last one we have in a long time because for the next World Cup, we don't have to qualify. And uh, we're not going to see this game. So it's going to be a lot of people from both sides there. I, I know a lot of friends that are going there from the United States. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a fun trip. That's a great point with the next World Cup coming to the CONCACAF region. And, and that brings me on to one of your positions as team liaison officer for, for CONCACAF. Tell me how you stepped into this role, the teams you've worked with, and also explain a little bit about the CONCACAF qualifying region because many people overlook it but I've, I've spoken to many U.S. internationals and and they tell me that qualifying from CONCACAF is one of the toughest things to do in world football yeah well the, the qualifiers usually are they start happening two years before the world cup and you got to get uh you get Canada United States South uh not South America Central America and the Caribbean so they start going playing games two years pre uh, before the World Cup, and they get all the way to six teams. This year's eight, so different setup because COVID, but they get six teams, and everybody plays each other home and away. And from that, they pick three. The top three go to the World Cup, and there's a, usually a wild card. The four places is a wild card with another part of the world. And, and FIFA decides who the part of the world it is. And so that's basically the qualifiers every every four years. But uh, this year, because COVID, they added two more teams. So it's eight teams left. And it's, as you know, it's pretty competitive right now. I think Canada has probably the best team in their soccer history this, this year. They have a lot of good players, and they're leading uh, uh, the qualifiers. And Mexico and U.S. are tied for second, and Panama and Costa Rica is right right behind them. So this last next three games that we having is going to be Thursday, Sunday, and next Wednesday, uh, which is the twenty fourth, the thirtieth, no, twenty fourth, twenty fourth, twenty seventh, the thirtieth are going to be crucial, and it's going to be they're going to decide. It's going to decide who is going to go to the next World Cup. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Any, nobody has qualified for the next World Cup. Uh, but uh, these next three games that I'm so excited to, to be part of three of them coming up, uh, it's going to decide that. Well, tell, tell me about the challenges because obviously CONCACAF is such a, it's such a massive region and the, the conditions can change so dramatically from one game to the next. How, how, how difficult is that for the teams, do you think? For difficult in, in what respect? What do you, like, you what know, do you mean? the, the like weather. The I mean, you're, you're up in Canada and it's... Oh, yeah. Well, well every, everybody... Well, yeah. Everybody uses everything to an advantage. You know, like World Cup qualifiers, you're going to throw everything at them. From climate, from making it pretty uh, rough for them to get to your country. I've seen so many tricks uh, countries use uh, as uh, they delay uh, exits at the airports. They, they don't let the bus in to go get the players. Uh, <laughs> fans uh, block the road. I seen where um, uh, I seen where the team stay at a hotel and the fans come outside the hotel with the whole band and they start playing music through the whole night so they won't get enough sleep. And and, and the United States used to used to be very naive about all this, you know. But the United States learned. 
how to do this as well. They take them to the cold weather. Um, I seen one time where um, uh, up north when they play Panama, United States, they water this and the second half, the Panama side only. <laughs> they flooded their side. <laughs> and Panama was pretty upset about it. And they said, well, we'll pay the fine. Don't worry. <laughs> Because they were gonna be fine. I don't think. Like I remember, like ten thousand dollars for doing tricks like that. And uh, so the United States got in the rhythm of doing the same thing and and using those tricks. I mean, they're no longer naive about it, <laughs> which is it's pretty funny. But you know, they they use everything about it, and they may try to make it difficult sometimes. Uh, even in the locker room, they they don't bring towels or they order the coffee or the tea they order it doesn't show up. All the all the sudden the lights don't go in the locker room. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's it's they do everything possible because uh, going to the World Cup means whole world for our country. Especially like I was in the middle of a, a qualifying with Panama last time, and I was actually working for them on the field the last day they qualified for the first World Cup ever. You know, uh, Venice. Let me tell you, what an experience! What an experience! And that was in the last last minute of the game they qualified, right? Yeah, last minute, uh, they needed a result in Trinidad and Tobago, between Trinidad and Tobago and, and the U.S. And, you know, as you know, Trinidad and Tobago beat the U.S. And, uh, and, and Panama in the second half beat Costa Rica 2-1. And so those that combination of results took it to the World Cup, and they didn't find it until the last possible minute. It was, it was it, to be on the field, everybody's crying and... And uh, the president of the country was on the field, and he's called. He says, "Tomorrow nobody works. It's going to be a holiday. Nobody has to work." The fire department came and got the team and put them on the truck on the on trucks, and they and they parade around the whole um, city. It was what an experience! <laughs> I was so blessed to be there. You know? Wow! And so you were the you were the yeah. team liaison officer. How how did that role come about? Well, 2011. Uh, somebody invited me to be um, a game volunteer here in, uh, at, the, at the, it was Home Depot Center back then. And it was U.S. versus, I don't remember who. Uh, and I went as a volunteer for game day to help out, you know, locker room and towels and carrying the Gatorade and, and water and stuff like that. And uh, And I started asking questions and I said, can I do this all the time? <laughs> I volunteer this all the time. My wife's thinking, hey, are you nuts? What do you mean you're going to volunteer? So believe it or not, I volunteer with the, with them for a whole year. And I pay my own way to the games and hotels and airline and stuff like that. Because it's just something that's so enjoyable. And after a year, I, I was already, you know, I, I have multiple business here that I, that I run. And so doing um locker rooms and field and stuff like that came pretty easy for me very organized i got the volunteers organized that we they go let's get this stuff done so we can enjoy the game so we can you know just look around and stuff like that so when u.s soccer started watching me doing all that they asked me why don't you work for us and i said well i don't need a job but i would you know uh i'll be independent contractor for you guys and help you out uh with visiting teams, and, and that's how the 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 position uh, they had available. I took it, you know. They they 
the first team I I took uh, I helped out as a team liaison officer was Team Panama, and that's how I have my relationship with Team Panama right now. And then and then the World Cup came around, and 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 Concacaf as U.S. Soccer, you have any good people that can be uh, team liaison officers for the World Cup, so they uh, absolutely put my name in there, and and I became part of the Gold Cups. I've done five Gold Cups now, so uh, in every two years. So uh, that's how I became a, a, a part-time job. Uh, I call it a paid hobby. And, uh, and you know, every, I enjoy it so much. I've probably done like about 115 international matches. So, I, you know, I, I've seen things from like, like I've seen Argentina, I've seen Portugal, I've seen... Well, most of the South, uh, South American teams, Central America teams, and Iceland. I had many European teams uh, with me. And remember when team liaison officers, the minute they arrive to the uh, to the airport, I have them. And every movement they make, you know, with even with meals, rooming, uh, transportation, practice fields, the menus, locker room at the at the on game day and and until the minute they leave uh, at the airport, then it's when my job is done. But it's it's a lot to do, but it's pretty enjoyable to me. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people probably say, you crazy? You know, but I don't think I am. This is something that gives me a life. Yeah, I don't think you're crazy. <laughs> it's, it's something I would do in a heartbeat as well. Uh, you know, being, being involved in international football, I mean, it, it doesn't really get any better. And and, and talking of that, you, you've not missed the last four World Cups. So you've been in Germany, South Africa, Brazil, and Russia. What, what were Russia, your, yeah. give, give me your thoughts on, on those those four World Cups. What was what was the most enjoyable? What was the best game you saw? And uh, and looking towards the future. Well, well, let's. Uh, I think all of them are enjoyable. Because it's not just the football that you go see uh, at a World Cup. You know, you sightseeing, you look at the country, look at the culture. Because we we don't we don't stay in five star hotels. We actually meet with people and what the regular fans are. But they all been enjoyable. But uh, there's some World Cups like 2006 were uh, very organized. You know, completely organized. Uh, everything yeah. wasn't scheduled. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you 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 went uh, uh, where for the bus? They're supposed to show up whatever time it was there. It was no mistake. Uh, you know, with Germans, it was it was, it was unbelievable uh, World Cup, and we've seen a lot of good matches there. Uh, and uh, then came South Africa, which we were just hoping the bus will show up. <laughs> it was it was uh, this country didn't know that much about football, so but it's too, just was just enjoyable. You were had to be a little more careful. It was, uh, you know, instead of going to different pubs or different cities, uh, you were on a safari because it's, it was the thing to do. But uh, and and then uh, it, was, it was a little disorganized because they said good people didn't know too much about football. Uh, then Brazil was just a party every day. You know, people in Brazil are happy all the time and. And they were so welcoming of, of the World Cup, and, and it, it was really unbelievable. And then Russia was something really different, you know. So Russia was uh, a country that you need to struggle through, even getting a coffee because no one speaks English. 
no one speaks English. And but it was it was enjoyable. And we spent three weeks there, and we watched uh, very very uh, good matches. We always try to go between five and six matches in every World Cup. So it's not just Jaffa. If I do follow the Mexican team, my wife is American, so we tend to go to uh, see the United States. Uh, uh, at least one or two games, and we kind of missed the United States in the last World Cup. It was kind of uh, kind of sad that we didn't see him there. But that's we try to watch four teams, you know. And and it was, it's, it's you see my wife all in the United States gear, and of course I got my Mexican jersey every single day. <laughs> but it's, it's very very enjoyable, yeah. Well, Mexico has been quite. And we can wait for it. Yeah, I mean, Mexico's been quite successful in the World Cups. Obviously, you know, no finals and semifinals. Uh, but I've, I've actually been lucky enough to follow the Tricolor as well. What's What's been your favorite game involving Mexico in the in the World Cups you've uh, followed? Well, there's been well, there's been a few. You know, like you say, in Mexico in the World Cups, at least the group stages, we do really well. Uh, I don't think big teams like to play Mexico. In the first round, you know, like uh, in Brazil 2014, it was enjoyable to see we, you know, Brazil hosting the World Cup, Mexico playing in the first game. We go, well, here we go. Uh, everybody thinks we're going to get killed by them, you know, like, it, but, you know, it was a 0 0 tie, and that to us was a win. That was, we, we beat Brazil that day, you know, <laughs> taking a point out, out of uh, Brazil and Brazil in the World Cup, that was unbelievable. But the most enjoyable, uh, probably in Russia, we played Germany. Again, the world thought that was the former uh, champions, World Cup champions. I said, Mexico is going to get him. And everybody thought Mexico, if Mexico loses by three goals, they should consider it a win, you know. <laughs> but we ended up beating them. And, uh, you know, all our group, we traveled with about 15, 20 people with us every World Cup. We were in tears watching that game. Well, my wife was kind of happy, but we were in tears uh, watching that game. So it was probably the game. Uh, and the most, I can tell you about the saddest game was in, uh, in, in, in uh, I think it was Brazil. Yeah. We played uh, the Netherlands and we were winning the whole game and and they called penalty kick up an, 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 an extra time and, and we got beat at the end. Yeah, by Netherlands. And oh, that was I think, that, that year. That, that year, we're supposed to play. We're supposed to, well, if we would have beaten uh, Netherlands, we're supposed to play Costa Rica the next game. And I, I, I really like our chance against Costa Rica because you know each other so well. So that could have been the year, but you know what? It's, it's just what it is. It's, uh, every four years, uh, I go with. Uh, with the hope, this is this is a, this is a, this is the year. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, why do you go to the World Cups when Mexico loses? Because it's not about winning or losing; it's the whole experience, you know. And uh, we gotta stand with your team, you know, win or win or lose. You know, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and obviously the next World Cup is in Qatar, not a nation known for its soccer, its football. What what are your thoughts about visiting the Middle East and and seeing a World Cup? Uh, in a country that's probably the size of Los Angeles. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's, 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 we don't know what to expect, you know, what's happening in the world not right now. But uh, we we looking into going. 
my wife and I only this time. I don't think the kids are going. Um, but uh, I heard about uh, small country. Uh, the venues are going to be uh, very close from each other. So I think you can actually go to a couple matches a day if you want to. So uh, hopefully uh, this happens, you know, uh, like nothing else happens uh, in the world. Like the Ukraine and the Russia war doesn't stop from uh, the World Cup to happen. But uh, that's we're hoping to go and experience something we've never seen, you know, uh, going to the Middle East. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be different, but uh, we can wait uh to see another World Cup, you know. And yeah. Hopefully Mexico takes, it, takes the whole thing this time. That's right. Go Viva Mexico. <laughs> well, it's referee, coach, team liaison officer for CONCACAF, and most importantly, a lover of the beautiful game. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Bull, and uh, good luck in 2022, and certainly good luck when you're on your way to Qatar. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'm sure we'll see each other on the field somewhere. Brilliant. Thanks a lot.